Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's installment of Beyond Governance here at 101.9 Fire FM. Uh, yours truly is Nimrod It is good to share the space and time with you, beloved listener. Despite the flus and colds that are doing around, if my voice come across a bit cranky, you know who to blame it to. On this show, we continue to mystify some of the complex issues that are bedeviling state and corporations, irrespective of their sizes. In the main, we do this through the prism of our esteemed guests who are knowledgeable in the field. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome aboard and hope you will be, you'll find our conversations insightful, intriguing and deeply refreshing. As you might be aware, we celebrated the International Mandela Day throughout in July and we need to be steadfast in our resolve to save humanity. This is what Mandiba would have wanted us to do. It's very sad kind of things that are happening in the country will make him turn in his grave. But be that as it may, we just need to shoulder on. In this show, I always encourage good deeds beyond the calendar day or a month. So let's continue to donate food, clothes, and any other item that could make the next person's life slightly bearable, especially those that are vulnerable. Last week, I had an intriguing conversation with the CEO of Cybona Discovery Center, Professor Patrick Tobey. He shared with us strategies in terms of programs that are taking place in South Africa to ensure its global competitiveness in the field of math and science. Based on his inputs, South Africa has got a long way to go. Part of the problem, in my view, is that we don't have a national strategy to address math and science. In the same way, we don't seem to have a national strategy to address reading for meaning. You could recall the PELS results indicated that South Africans learners can't read for, and in grateful can't read for meaning. Uh, this, in my view, uh, calls upon government, civil society organizations to harmonize their programming by ensuring that there is one national strategy that addresses particular issues. I'm sure you could your own views and thoughts on this particular matter, of which we want to hear them from you. As we proceed, let us dispense with the words of gratitude to my colleagues who are managing the show, Vusma Singer and Harry Seleke, for helping to navigate the show seamlessly and beautifully. Please weigh in on this particular conversation that I'm going to have with my esteemed guest. Our SMS line is 34519. Views and thoughts are most welcome via my Twitter handle, which is at Dr. Madden. Before I engage my esteemed guests here, Allow me to take a slightly detour about reflecting on a dominant narrative around professionalization of the public sector. Last week, there's been a debate uh, hosted by political stakeholders in trying to decipher and map out public sector, you know, through the the public sector framework that looked at how to professionalize, you know, the sector as it were. And I think it's quite important we pretty much going in the right direction for the public sector's uh, posture from a professional and ethical point of view leave much to be desired. 
What comes to mind when you talk of professionalization of public sector is that it is important that people who are employed are qualified and have a sense of duty and consciousness to carry out the public function with an ethical disposition. That's the reason why the framework is addressing some of these issues. And the other point is that we need to go back and link the, the framework which has been articulated in NDP. Most people often forget that NDP uttered, you know, as early as uh, 2013 or so, mentioned the importance of professional and ethical public sector. For South Africa to find itself as a developmental state, you cannot execute key equity and redress programs, development of the state, when your public service is not at the level where it should be in terms of credibility, in terms of pedigree, in terms of skills, in terms of competency. So we are certainly moving towards the right direction from that end. One of the biggest elephants in the room as part of the remedying the professionalization of the public sector is all idea of fractionalism which has completely dilapidated the public sector. It is important that as universities, researchers, governments um, address this issue, look at how to mitigate against politicization of the administration. One, in my mind, it has to do with recruitment and selection of bureaucrats. There has to be an independent, that this view was shared by a number of speakers at that particular colloquium, and of which I agree with. There has to be an independent selection and recruitment processes of senior executive um, officials in government. The other issue that you mentioned in that particular conversation is the duration of bureaucrats. In the past, the duration of the DG and senior managers was somehow aligned to ministers and MECs. We have seen how that and uh, dilapidated service delivery. So I was quite happy to see that um, this issue will be addressed differently. As we proceed on that note, I mean, I want to welcome my guest, Dr. Nandi Madiba, who is a corporate government practitioner. And the gist of our conversation is around um, the government lapses, which is pretty much similar to the issues that I've raised earlier. And um, and again, just to locate our conversation with Dr. Nandi Madiba, it's about the annual plea by the Attorney General for leadership and accountability in a context of municipalities that are found wanting uh, in so many ways. Without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to welcome uh, Nandi. Good afternoon, um, uh, Dr. Mbele, and good afternoon uh, to our listeners. I would confirm that I am very well despite the cold and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you very much, Iswam. Um, just a quick point. Um, you've got a very elaborate CV, which is quite intimidating to some of us. I think it's best uh, that you articulate exactly who Nandi is for the benefit of the listener who's hearing your voice for the first time and the kind of issues that you'll be articulating in our conversation. Who is Nandi? I'll start off by saying a lot of people always stop me when I say I am a corporate governance activist. They say, no, don't say activist, rather say advocate. And I'm saying, no, advocate is a bit softer. I'm believing that through the resilience that I always um, declare and make sure that I demonstrate when it comes to corporate governance. I believe that it's not just advocacy, it's actually more of activism. Uh, Nandi is born Siwasha from Kumbu, and uh, I reside in Johannesburg. But more, the way I want to relate to people is that I am there to drive corporate governance. 
if you are not about corporate governance in your company, don't even consider Nandi as a director on your board. I've served on boards as far back as 1996. And since then, I've been moving between private sector and public sector and also the committees within boards where some of those committees I would be establishing from scratch, where there's absolutely no policy in place, no Senate operating procedures, and also the guidance in terms of the various charters that should be guiding the boards as well as the board committees and how they should relate to management, which is a point that I think I will touch on later in terms of linking it to the four lines of defense as we utilize them, but also linking to the fact that King 4 has since changed that from four to six lines of defense. But I'm not going to elaborate that much on that, but I'm trying to emphasize as to, but why am I emphasizing my relationship with management in terms of their understanding of the role of corporate governance? Because from the various positions where I have served, I have found that the gap had been created by us not having the same understanding of what corporate governance is, the role of corporate governance. And an example I can make is that when I was an advisor advising a municipality somewhere in the northwest under the FMIP, um, a program of treasury contracted by a company in Spain, I had to insert in the program without National Treasury having it in the program that I would start with the governance structures because if councillors don't know what to ask for from management, what to demand from management, what to expect from management, how to interpret that, then you are not even giving them an opportunity to exercise their oversight role. So I've been coming with this a long way 1996, it was outside the municipal environment, but beyond then, I've um, a, a had positions within the PFMA environment, entities, as well as within government departments. That is who Nandi is. I've been in this space for decades, and I've got 40 years working experience covering quite a number of areas, starting with banking, and uh, you can even go to the side of agriculture, and my thesis is on digital transformation governance. My first MBA was on public sector practices and principles of corporate governance. And DPA uh, is also on corporate governance. So when I say I'm a corporate governance activist, you must understand I live and breathe corporate governance. And yes, I'm indeed. That's, that's wonderful. Which are li- living the same thing, <laughs> learning from the mother. Absolutely. I've already picked up the energy that is oozing from how you put across. Very interesting point that you and I will, will talk about them. Uh, in the meantime, let's have a quick break and come back in a second as we need to pay our bills. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world, and now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. Uh, my name is Nimrod Tembele. I am joined by Dr. Nandit Madeba, 
who is a corporate governance advocate or, or activist, as she puts it. Uh, she's given us a bit of an interesting uh, history on how she started this particular la- uh, line. Without any waste of time, Nandi, I want to put um, some of our conversation in context. I mean, uh, I think a couple of days ago, the Auditor General indicated to us that the only 38 municipalities out of 257 that achieved clean audit in 2021-2022 financial year. And when you compare this with the, the previous year, which is 2019 to 2020, we had about 41 municipalities which obtained clean audit. That gives you a very sense of where we are. Just overview, what do we account to this, or how do you explain this colossal of regression in terms of governance and extent to which what clean audit means to an ordinary folk who's listening to the show now? Let me maybe start off by saying when you get trained as an auditor, you would not come across an audit opinion called clean audit because in terms of the technical training from the auditing point of view, you will have an unqualified audit opinion, qualified audit opinion, disclaimer and adverse. But uh, the term clean audit came about when there was encouragement for people not to have material findings because the tendency is that whilst the audit opinion might be unqualified, but you may still have certain material findings that are actually there. However, they were not taken into account as being so significant such that they would take away your unqualified audit opinion. So clean would actually be meaning is unqualified audit opinion without uh, material findings. Now, if I come to the perspective of municipalities, I think that the regression is more about the culture within the control environment. I think I made an example already earlier on whereby I was indicating why councillors needed to be trained on their role of oversight so that they know what to expect from management, what to demand, how to interpret that. And I'm believing that Without politicizing the um, the discussion, I would like to say the instability within local government is actually weakening the control environment because the people whom you would have trained to take them to a particular level to understand their oversight role would not necessarily be there because of that instability where you've got uh, them changing. But besides the instability that arises from matters of coalition. But the fact that councillors are there for a limited period of time, they will also not be there for continuity purposes. And therefore, you may be having some that are coming through that would not necessarily be very strong in exercising that oversight role. If I can interject, Nandi, the assumption that is being made is that all the municipalities who are sent to this particular position, SALGA, as an as a body, provide from time to time training on governance issues, uh, management issues, subcommittee issues, and so on and so forth. Are you saying that SALGA's programming is not forthcoming or there are gaps in the in capacity building initiative by SALGA? Because it doesn't make sense. As we go, when you listen in, in detail, some of the issues picked up by Auditor General, it says a lot about the quality 
of councillors or the quality of programs, capacity building programs, because councillors are, are elected by, by populists. That's not our forte, but our forte is to make sure that they exercise oversight as they should. And part of enabling environment for them, we need to give them sufficient uh, capacity building initiatives from Salga and any other interest. I know Treasury does that. What are you seeing about that capacity building? Is it forthcoming? Is it not forthcoming? What's overall picture? Let me answer that by saying it is forthcoming, but not adequately, because I think the approach to it is what is having gaps. If you come and give me bread when I don't need bread, I will definitely not recognize what you are giving to me because you are not giving me that what I'm looking for. There needs to be a bottom-up approach in capacitating councillors. You need to first establish their profile in terms of their competences and competencies. I'm going to come back why I'm, uh, to that, why I'm emphasizing competences versus competencies, because you'll find that on research, they actually um, differentiate between the two terms. So if they don't go in there to establish what exactly are the competencies and competencies that are there within the councillors, you can't train people without having first profiled them. Because if you say everyone needs the same training, that's where you are lost, because some of the councillors are coming from backgrounds where they did not go through various levels in terms of uh, literacy, in terms of even tertiary education. But some councillors are actually coming from higher levels. Now, if you come with something that you present to them all without first having unpacked on the basis of profiling their competences and competencies, then there will be a problem. I'll start off by saying, A competencies understanding is that it takes into account the set of skills, knowledge, traits, and behaviors that will enable you as an individual to successfully complete a task or activities within the context of a certain function that you have to do, whether through employment or a governance responsibility. That is now a competency. And when it comes to a competence without the why, That one takes into account the behavior. You can train a person, but if you don't take into account the behavioral aspects in trying to equip that person, you will not achieve what that person learns from what have related to as competencies. So that's why I'm touching on both competencies and competence ending with an E. And why I'm touching on that is because if the program of training municipalities is based on what Salga thinks they need to deliver to them as councillors and not go to them to say, let's profile you, tell us, what do you require? Others will tell you that I don't need training on governance. I'm already experienced in governance. For instance, at one municipality where I was facilitating a strategic planning workshop, the mayor was actually on the verge of finishing his master's program. Now you're going to take my cousin who comes from the rural areas, but put forward by the masses, who doesn't have that level of literacy, who does not have even research skills, and put him into the same conference room and delivering the same training material. Definitely, you're not going to get the same output out of that particular training. And again, when it comes to the personal traits of this, 
you will have those that will not understand how the social and ethics competence from a corporate governance point of view of them as councillors from the oversight perspective needs to be coming out because in certain instances, you will find CEFOs, uh, supply chain management um, heads, complaining about the directives they are given in terms of them executing their duties. But again, somebody might be ignorant and just do that without realizing that at the end of the day, this act might take somebody to jail because you are not the person that's operational. The record of the transaction is not going to be by you at oversight level. It's going to be at operational level. However, if you are trained on the competences that you need to be possessing, it's going to give you a conscience when you do it that I'm not supposed to be doing this because in terms of my code of ethics, I have to avoid this. I have to go this route for me to be exercising my role. The same way that directors are having a duty per the company's act, best practices, king for various practices. The same goes for counselors. They've got their handbook. They know the code. But do we train them on the relevant aspects of their governance roles or salga on the basis of what they believe should be offered? They will then just offer that. We need to change the manner we approach this and have a deep dive in terms of the competences, the profiling, and as well, take into account within the same environment, those that are part of operations that then take advantage of the fact that the councillors are seen not to be there for a longer time, and they will also take a chance and pursue their own agendas as well. Because there's a mix here. I don't want us to only look at the size of a side of oversight, but as well as on the basis of combined assurance, the role that is played by management for them to ensure that they do what is right in terms of the reports they present to councillors, the timing of those reports, the format that makes them easily interpretable and they can be able to make use of the information therein without them looking into the jargon that might not make use. And I will make an example. At one municipality, there was a, a, a municipal manager that raised his salary to almost double. And when people um, heard about it, they were confronting the municipal manager. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. Uh, this is Beyond Governance. If you've just joined us, I'm having interesting conversation with Dr. Nandi, who is a corporate governance activist. Before we went to the break, um, she was giving us insights on 
what accounts for unqualified, qualified and disclaimer audit. And in the main, one of the issues that I put to him saying municipalities or councillors are often given training around the oversight's roles and responsibilities. Her view is that the training is forthcoming. However, it is inadequate. The two issues that she brought us, brought to us. One is the competence and skills and competencies, but also behavioral competence. In her view, you know, the, the fear or the challenge with the programs that has been given by Saga in any other entities is that it's not differentiated in that it's wholesome. So there are councillors that have have set foot at the tertiary level. The councillors have never set foot at council at, at various institutions from half power learning, which means there's a need for a differentiated approach in building the capacity of the councillors. I hope you're back, uh, Nandi. Let's proceed from that end by giving us um, your, your views as we proceed on, on this point. Thank you so much. I am back. Let me quickly finish off the example I was making, which is actually in a way trying to enhance the point of giving jargon to the councillors and not being able to let the information be summarized through dashboards that would make them decide effectively because everything is making sense to them rather than the jargon. And part of the example I was making was trying to show that they end up not being able to read these documents that are their tools to exercise their oversight. This particular municipal manager that raised his salary by almost double had actually taken them back to meeting packs that he presented in council. And council had approved this raise of his um, salary pay. And uh, this pay was put in a motivation that was part of a pack. And the councillors did not even see the report. But because the pack is huge, one will raise a hand and say, as recommended, another one will say, seconded. And you find that the item that they are saying is recommended and seconded has not been unpacked, but the pack is so huge that they just want to go over this pack without even contextualizing what is it that is being presented to them without them being able to even ask the right questions from management as part of unpacking these reports that are contained in the packs. And when the matter was taken through and the person was challenged, he said to them, but councillors, you approved this raise. And they said, no, no, never. He told them which date of the council meeting where this was approved. He even brought the pack to the mayoral committee to show them where the item was in the agenda and where the motivation was. And they couldn't do anything legally. They had to wait until his term ended because they had approved that raise. And it's part of the gaps in an oversight which is caused by the fact that the information that's given is in a form of a document that is huge, which is not packaged properly. And from their side, are they having clear understanding? Here's the thing, Landy. I mean, I think you spot on. There are two things that I'm picking up from this point. One is that the councillors don't apply their minds on the pack which has been provided, because typically you need a minimum of seven days, minimum, just to go through your pack. And my view, or based on what you're saying, my sense is that councillors don't read the pack until the actual date. That's number one, okay? because if somebody would have read the pack in advance, would have raised these issues when the conversation is happening. And the second point is that management will literally put wool around uh, oversight structures because of the same reason, because they understand that some of the oversight structures don't have 
business acumen. They don't ask the right questions. They don't follow up. Uh, your observation on that point. I would like to agree with you on this one because if the councillors are given the necessary tools as well as ensuring that it's not only the necessary tools, but they are involved in deciding on what is it that they need to ensure that the enabling environment is created for them to exercise their oversight. And this goes even beyond the councillors themselves in terms of the combined assurance that I was referring to. Because if we're having adequate lines of defence doing their part, even other members of executives within the municipality, they would be going to the mayoral council to say, mayoral committee to say, councillors, in this pack, there is this particular item which may expose you to risk and therefore you need to be aware and you need to make it a point when you discuss it, you consider the following. But there's a lack of independence amongst these assurance providers because councillors alone cannot be blamed because they go to the meeting unprepared. But what about those that are part of the assurance providers, that are part of the lines of defense, that are supposed to actually bring to their attention matters that could be of risk in terms of them exercising their oversight. So this goes beyond the competency of the councillors to weaknesses in the combined assurance framework that needs to be applied at municipalities. There's a nice document that a Treasury had um, developed, but the question is, is it understood? Is there a plan to actually execute that? Because coming up with a combined assurance framework and there's no plan to execute, then you will not be able to hold people accountable and you won't be able to actually give the necessary defense to those councillors as well. So I'm going beyond them, but at the same time, if you train them adequately, you need to bring to their attention what this combined assurance framework is requiring of them and what benefit it brings to them when they exercise their oversight. And if they understand its benefit, they'll be the ones asking the questions before they even consider the pack. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Let's take a final quick break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is uh, Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Timbela. I'm joined by... uh, uh, Nandi, uh, Dr. Nandi Madiba, who is a corporate governance activist. Uh, before we went to the break, was you know she was giving us very interesting observations on how uh, oversight structures, as in council, are not able to articulate their roles and responsibilities purely because the the lines of defence, the combined assurances from uh, you know junior manager managers. Uh, senior managers, the audit committees and so forth that are weak to a point where the, 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 the municipalities are really put in, in major risk. 
I want to qualify this position by raising an issue which I think um, she has responded to, but she needs to respond slightly different. The AG indicated that municipalities raked up to 4.7 billion rands in fruitless and wasteful expenditure. 4.74 billion rands in fruitless and wasteful expenditure. Just unpack it for us. What constitutes fruitless and wasteful expenditure ranging to 4.7 billion rands? Let me emphasize the characteristics of this fruitless and wasteful expenditure so that before we even try and comment on why that magnitude. In most cases, lack of planning would lead to a situation where you would have fruitless and wasteful expenditure even if there is no intention to have that true collusion. Because part of this may be true collision in terms of supply chain processes where processes had gaps. But part of it might be true ignorance. I'll make an example. If somebody plans a conference, whether due to force majeure or any other reason, that conference can no longer take place. People forget that when they've made the bookings, they need to actually consult and make arrangements for postponement. They would rather leave it and it will be lost. Fruitless and wasteful expenditure is actually expenditure that is incurred in vain, where there was no value for money derived, and where then one needs to be careful of this aspect of no value for money. It's when you are unable to plan ahead to avoid that you lose the money because you were unable to be proactive to go provide for an alternative date where you had to make a cancellation. I'm just making a basic example because as part of consequence management at these governance structures, we come across people who would end up going through DC just only on the basis that they were not proactive. They could not have avoided the fact that the matter had to be postponed. However, they did not mitigate a risk of losing those funds. As if that's not enough, Nandi. According to the AG now, 25.7 billion rands unauthorized expenditure. We've got 4.74 fruitless and wasteful expenditure, 25.8 if you want to round it off, billion of rands in unauthorized expenditure. Your take on that? Let, let me close off the earlier one by saying what would worsen the situation with a fruitless and wasteful expenditure is the collusion where people are paying for services which were never rendered, in which case that one is an intended one, whereby it has an element of weak controls where we are not able to segregate duties within supply chain management and collusion leads to a situation where invoices are paid for work that was never done, hence there's no value for money. On the unauthorized one, Where I see it as less risky is the fact that there would have still been value for money in this regard. But the difference is that the money wasn't spent for the purpose for which it was allocated and approved. And in certain areas, the expenditure that has been incurred has been incurred without having followed process to ensure that that allocated expenditure has been part of the approval processes 
of the budget, then it becomes unauthorized on the basis of process and on the basis of where the money is spent, which is at least better than the one that is fruitless and wasteful where it's spent in vain. But here it's money spent. But again, it may open up a loop as well in terms of those that want to collude. Because when you know you want to spend in a particular area because you want to enrich a particular service provider, you may even create a need that may not have been there. Yet at the end of the day, the budget needs to be aligned to your APP, if you are a government department or entity, as a municipality, you have your, 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 your IDP supported by your strategy and your budget. And if then in terms of the budget, there's misalignment between those uh, objectives as well as the actual targets that are needing to be met. It therefore means there will be a compromise in terms of service delivery because you're taking money that was allocated maybe for upgrade of roads or maintenance of roads or maybe a water infrastructure, and you go and spend it maybe on facilitating conferences or maybe uh, some uh, event that is not really impacting on society. It becomes unauthorized because this was not allocated for the purpose that you have now spent the money there, but you had channeled the funds towards that direction for a purpose different from the one that had prioritized that these funds be allocated for this other service. We're going to run out of time, but there's one point that I really want you to quickly reflect on, on the same point of fruitless and wasteful expenditure and unauthorized expenditure, which runs to close to 29 billion rents in total. Consequence management, these issues have been raised year in, year out by the AG. Why are we not seeing people being fired? With literally about a minute. I would uh, point it at two reasons. The first one is inadequate records management because, remember, you have to prove beyond reasonable doubt when you are actually making the point that holding these people accountable. The other one is a lack or inadequate accountability, which needs to be cascading from the top because for these people to be taken through consequence, from the top, you should be able to have clear policies and procedures including the sign-off in terms of the code of conduct for people knowing that when they have done something wrong, they are really going to be taken through the process. However, in certain instances, there are lack of policies, there are lack of procedures in place. You end up having to apply only the act and regulations in terms of trying to pursue people, making the process even more lengthy because now if the records are not there, as evidence to back up the wrongdoing, then how are you going to apply that consequence management? Here's the thing. as This is my party show because literally at a run out of time. I'm in the same vein. I hear you. There's lack of record. There's lack of accountability. All these things. In some instances, we've got municipalities that use consultant. The AG tells us uh, municipalities that you, they spend one, 1.6 billion rent on consultant to address the same issues that you're raising and there's been no value for money. So we have thrown money into the problem by way of getting consultants into those particular municipality spaces to remedy the same issues, but has been no value. How do we account for that? In case of then, for eight municipalities raised about 309 million rents Limpopo, 263 million rands in Northwest, 126 million rands in Pumalanga, 245 uh, million rands worth of consultants. People being paid to do the work 
and yet we still get unqualified, we even worse, we get disclaimers. Maybe I know it's a very complex question, but yeah, you literally, in a 30 <laughs> seconds. Maybe the question would be, has that work even been done? Or is it because there's collusion and therefore there's payment towards the consultants? Uh-huh. Secondly, were we needing the consultants in the first place? Because if we've got competent personnel and we've got oversight that understands what this competent personnel is supposed to be delivering, we would not be calling in on consultants. So those are the two questions I can put forward to say sometimes we bring them on, yet we don't necessarily need them. We don't even monitor them in terms of delivering on that what they needed to deliver on. Or at times, because somebody has an interest in that company and they must come on board to come and perform work that wasn't even required. I hope I'm answering you. Apologies for the technical glitch, which almost messed up my wonderful conversation with Dr. Nandi Suwala who is an expert in governance issues. I certainly think we need more time with a phenomenal woman of extensive oversight and experience in both private and public sector organizations. What I find exasperating is the fact that year in, year out, the AG makes similar findings and yet nothing happens. We don't see action against executives and boards of these entities. It almost feels like the system is awarding delinquency. Based on observation, it is clear that counselors are either weak or training provided on oversight issues, risk management issues, financial management issues is hopelessly inadequate. It is also emerged that there is a big sense of collusion among officials and bidders as it appears that the 4.7 billion rands in wasteful expenditure can only be accounted for. Over and above the issues regarding collusion, it also appears that there seems to be a weak control environment within municipalities, which means there is a need for a coordinated approach that ensures that all assurance activities provided by management, internal assurance providers and external assurance providers adequately address significant risk facing many municipalities and that suitable controls are mitigated. What I find, what I also find annoying and painful is to hear all manner of excuses. In my view, there seems to be a complete disconnect between the daily toil of ordinary people and those of politicians. We have seen, everyone has seen, running water, running sewer water with a stench which poses health risk to poor people. And I can't even talk about the litter and the mountain of garbage that is piling up on a daily basis. Did I mention pothole? Oh, yes, of course. Everybody knows about that. In the final analysis, South Africa deserves better. We must find better solutions other than courts. Every single person or group of people who feel aggrieved around the courts, and this takes time away from service delivery issues. Local government is far, far more important than provincial government as far as I'm concerned, which means this tier of government cannot allow to fail. The recovery and turnaround solutions should be based on a meritocratic uh, template, which means you employ best people, you reward them, and you attend to dead wood. As for councillors, the indication is a training provide on governance issues, financial management issues, and risk management issues are definitely in, uh, inadequate. So there lies an opportunity to strengthen those those kind of gaps so that um, the service delivery is, is better. These are some of the ramifications of fruitless and wasteful expenditure, unauthorized expenditure, and insane amounts of money spent to consultants without any value. Hey, we're going to have to leave it here. It has been absolutely beautiful. Thanks again for tuning in. 
And I thought you, I, I'm hopeful that you've benefited from enlightening conversation and therefore you, your thinking and horizon or perspective for that matter, um, has been sharpened. Let's do this again. This is Nimrod Mbele signing out. Shalom. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. 